This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Boy, that was nice and sharp, wasn't it? Are you all fully awake this morning? Yeah, well, about two-thirds of you are. It's a beautiful day out there, isn't it? Yes. All right. Listen. We are, I'm going to talk to you this morning about something that on the surface can be a little hard to grab hold of. So it's going to require all of your attention, but it has the ability to change your life. So uh, jump on board with that. I want to say to those of you who are brand new, welcome to New Life. Welcome to a church where Jesus is front and center. Always has been, always will be. You'll see that as we walk through the morning. It's a safe place. Hopefully it's a place where you'll find love and acceptance and all the things that uh, all of us need as we come into uh, a space of worship and connection with God. I want to read you a couple of uh, facts and figures that I came across this week that I thought were absolutely outstanding. This is uh, from a magazine given to... uh, I'm not nearly old enough to get this AARP magazine, but anyway, somebody gave me a copy of it, so here you go. Here's what it says. While we cannot prove that church going makes you happy, or whether happy people tend to be religious, research shows that people who belong to a faith-based community and attend services more than once a week, did you get that? That's more than twice a year. That's more than, more than once a week means in this church you would come on Sundays to our worship service and you would be part of a life group during the week. Listen to this. Live as many as seven years longer than people who don't. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Now listen to this. Churchgoers are also less likely to engage in risky behaviors such as drug and alcohol abuse. They tend to be satisfied with less money. They have less stress in their lives. And they have a built-in social network. All of those things contribute to people who are churchgoers living up to seven years longer than people who are not. Then it ended up by saying, plus, if you belong to a church, you'll benefit even more, which means you stretch that even more if you volunteer. So welcome to a place that can extend your life by seven years. That's pretty awesome, don't you think? All right, now let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning and you unfold for us a concept that has the ability to change our lives and yet it's so counter to the culture that we live in And it goes so against many parts of our human nature that it can be difficult for us to grasp because it's outside the box. But boy, is it right in the heart of what you want us to learn and to live out and to receive. So would you move us that way and give us grace and the ability to grasp this so we can take hold of the life you have for us. I pray it in your name. Amen. Grab your programs and and, uh, from your programs, pull out the teaching notes, that's a half sheet of notes, and pull out that long skinny connect card because you're going to need both of those as we walk through what I'm going to teach you this morning. 
I have a question for you, and it's right where we're going to begin. Have you ever wanted to change something in your life? Would that be true of everyone here? Yeah, there's rarely a week that goes by that I don't encounter something in my life that I think, wow, I would be a better person if I could just change that. And you have to fill in the blank in your life. But that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we change that? The key question really is, because all of us have in, it's, it's hardwired into us, we came with it, just born into us, a tendency to do bad things once in a while. Have you noticed it? Yeah, we all got it. I tell parents, have you ever noticed you have to teach your children how to do good, but you never had to take a child and say, come here, darling, let me tell you that you don't always have to tell the truth. You can tell a lie once in a while. Now, here's what a lie is, because we all figure that stuff out. There's part of our human nature. The Bible puts a term on it. It's called our fallen nature, our fleshly nature, okay? We all got it. The question is, how do we change that? So here's the key question of the morning. Take a look. How can my human nature be changed? Now, in this most famous sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, he hits that head on, except he does it in a way that you and I might not understand exactly what he's saying. So we're going to break that out for you this morning. So we're going to go straight to the teaching. Here it is in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus begins by saying, Don't misunderstand why I have come. Uh, One of the things I love about Jesus is every time he's about ready to drop something really important on us and and something that can change our lives, he usually begins with some sort of a, a heads up. Sometimes he would say, now listen, I'm getting ready to tell you the truth. And if you read it in the old King James Version, it will say, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Or if you read it in one of the modern versions, it will say, Truly, I say to you. Well, this is one of those times where Jesus says, Now, whoa, time out. Wake up. Don't misunderstand why I have come. And then the rest of what we're going to study this morning is the central reason that Jesus came. So he begins to unfold it for us. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Underline that sentence. Supremely important in the understanding of all of the Sermon on the Mount. I came to accomplish their purpose. The purpose of the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose has been achieved. Now, over and over again, Jesus is going to say to his followers, look, I have come to give you one simple command. It's a new command, and it's one that you and I have heard many times. It says, his commandment is this, I Here's my commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Now, I can just hear his followers saying, 
<laughs> Dude, I'm on board with that because there were ten commandments in the Old Testament and the teachers of the law had multiplied that into about 620 different commandments in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm bringing one. And they're thinking, "Woo, I'm good with that. A couple of Valentine's cards and a thank you note and I'm good. And Jesus goes, whoa, time out. Don't misunderstand why I have come. Now I'm going to teach you a whole new way of looking at life. I'm going to teach you a whole new way of living. And yes, you can sum it up and wrap it up in one single command. And that is that you love one another even as I have loved you. But don't for a moment assume that that means that your behavior now is a free-for-all as long as you love a few people. Because that's not what it's about. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to teach you a way of life and I'm going to do something in you that's going to take the concept behind every one of the commandments in the Old Testament and I'm going to drive it straight into your heart. It's a huge deal. So don't misunderstand why I've come. And and just in case we would not get it, he goes a little bit further. So if you ignore the least commandment and you teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't mean he's going to throw you out. But what it does mean, the reason you would be called least in the kingdom of heaven is because you will be missing the heart of what kingdom life is all about. When you walked into the building this morning, you walked right past a marquee sign that says that this church is about taking hold of the life that that God has for us. And that really is what we're about. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. But if you and I think for a minute that we can ignore the guidelines that that God has laid out for us in Scripture and just be as long as I love Jesus, I can sort of do whatever I want to do as long as I don't think it hurts anybody else. Jesus said, you'll be the least in the kingdom because you will have missed out on kingdom life. He goes on to say, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than Then the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that probably doesn't mean a lot to you and me because we didn't live in that culture and we're going to have to get some some cultural context in, in order to get that. This would be like going to someone who follows a guru up in the mountains of Tibet and saying to that whole congregation of people, unless your righteousness surpasses that of your guru, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. And they would look at you and go, oh, dude sits on a mountain, never goes anywhere, never spends any money, spends all of his time praying and in meditation. How could my righteousness ever surpass that? It would be like going to someone let's say, who has a Catholic background and saying to them, unless your righteousness surpasses those who have taken the vow of poverty and the vow of silence and they have lived in a monastery all their life and they get up every day and read the Scriptures and pray and that's all they ever do. Unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you never get into the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure when Jesus said this, His followers looked at each other and went, 
Whoa. That bar is so high, no one could ever get there. These guys did nothing all day except study the law. And they had all of these religious rituals that they went through. And when they went to the marketplace, and even the shadow of a Gentile or a sinner would, would, would come across them, they would go home and ceremonially bathe so that they could be ritually clean. Uh, it was crazy. They wouldn't eat their food unless they had not only washed their hands in a certain way, but they had seven rinses that they poured over their hands so that they would not eat with unclean hands. It was a full-time occupation just to be righteous. And Jesus said, you got to do better than that. How could anyone do better than that? Well, Jesus is going to lay it on him in a wonderful way. He goes on to say, You have heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now, this is the first of seven dyads in the Sermon on the Mount. And a dyad is simply two statements that are directly related to each other. And this is the first of seven in which Jesus said, You have heard that your ancestors were told, but I say to you. And we're going to find in all seven of them, it begins with some external thing and Jesus leaves the external and goes straight to the heart and goes straight to the internal. And he says, okay, the law is about the external, but what I'm going to teach you is about the internal. Take a look at what he says. You have, you, were to, you're, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. That's an external thing. But I say to you, or if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you are even angry with someone, where does that take place? That's in the heart. That's internal. If you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. And if you call someone an idiot, as long as you're driving, it's okay. But other than that, it's not. no, that's not what he says, right? If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Think with me for a minute about where Jesus is headed. Here's our very, very first takeaway. Okay? And that is the key to changing our human nature is found in the heart. Changing our heart is the key to changing our behavior. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's why I started out with, is there anything about you that you'd like to change? Anything about your behavior? Anything about your nature you would like to change? And all of us have that stuff. So the first key and our first big takeaway is, if I continue to work on my behavior, it's a losing deal. That's never going to happen. Because you can't change your behavior by working on your behavior. The key to changing the behavior is found in the human heart, which is why Jesus said, if you spend all your life trying not to murder someone, but you don't work on the hatred you have for them in your heart, 
then don't be surprised if at some point you do something you thought you were never capable of. Because you didn't work on your heart. And friends, that's true across the board. Okay? If you're a parent and you yell and scream at your children because they won't do or don't do what you want them to do, don't spend your life working on trying not to scream at your children. You have to get to the heart of the matter. What is causing you to even want to scream at your children? And I could illustrate that a hundred different ways. And Jesus saying, is saying to us, look, listen to what I'm going to teach you because I'm going to teach you how that happens and what you can do about it in your life. Because the key to changing our behavior is found in changing our heart. Now that brings up a very interesting question, and that is, how do you actually change the human heart? Did you know that in the history of the world, there have only been three concepts ever put forward as to how to change the human heart? It's really interesting. They have, obviously, all sorts of different variations, but there are only three basic things that have ever been put forward for how you can change the human heart. And I'm going to talk to you about all three of them over the next few minutes. Okay? So, three ideas. Here's the first one. And that is rules. Okay? If we want to control behavior and we want to change how people live and interact and we really want to change people, then we have to pass rules that will keep them to stay inside the boundaries and it will actually change how they live. Now listen, we have, I don't know, eight, ten thousand years of experimentation with laws and governments and civilizations and every civilization has eventually figured out if you have no rules, you end up with chaos And so in order for people to live together, you have to put together some rules. And if you went to Washington, D.C., and you went to the uh, library of of the Congress, uh, you would see room after room of rules and regulations designed to help keep American citizens doing what they're supposed to be doing and not doing what they're not supposed to be doing. But do rules change the human heart? What do you think? No? Have you ever, ever, no matter how hard people worked at passing a law and thinking how good it was, have you ever heard anyone in their entire lifetime say, thank God Congress passed that law. I feel like a new person now. No. Because in our hearts we all know that rules don't actually change people. They're designed, hopefully, to bring a little fear into people. We'll talk about that later. And if you're afraid enough of going to jail, hopefully you won't do things. It will send you there. But the basic concept behind all rules is some sort of fear of punishment. So, that's the first thing. The second thing that's been put forward as a way to change the human heart is religion. 
And the idea behind religion is that you believe in some person or something or some force that is superhuman, that's greater than all human beings, to which all human beings are subject. And if you live by the principles of whatever that is, and you keep the commandments or the concepts of that particular person or force or whatever it is, and if you keep them long enough and and you keep enough of them over a long enough period of time that it will make you into a better person and it will actually change your heart. Now the truth is all religions make people live better lives if you're sincere about them. Doesn't mean that all religions are equal. I didn't say that. But you know, if a religion was all bad, and every time somebody became part of it, it ruined their life, and it messed up everybody around them, that religion would not stay around long. You got it? So all religions have at their base a desire to change the human heart. But here's the thing about religions. Religions have this thing that you have to go through certain rituals or regulations. And so people experiment with that. And historically what happens is is if life isn't going too well, the thought is I must not be worshiping the correct God or I must not be worshiping the correct God in the right way. So people would change religions and they would offer this kind of a sacrifice and that kind of a sacrifice and they would do this sort of a thing for prayer and they would go burn candles over here and they would just go through all of these rituals and bow in certain ways and sing in certain ways and pray in certain ways and meditate in certain ways and go to certain services and whatever it is, do it over and over and over and over again and hopefully life will go better for me. And if I do it long enough and well enough, I'll be changed into a better person. But the truth is, in the same way that laws and rules make us afraid of jail, religion tends to make us afraid of God. Does that make sense? Because the deal is, as I stood by the the deathbed of a lady who had been a Christian for many years, who didn't get it, she brought the mindset of Christianity, um, the mindset of religion to Christianity. And by the way, it's easy for many churches to do the same thing. The churches were called synagogues in Jesus' day, but they did the same thing. They brought the mindset of religion and tried to combine it with truth. This dear lady who had lived as a Christian for many years looked at me and said, Ron, I just hope I've done enough. Jesus said, neither one of those actually works. Let me talk to you about something that actually works. Okay? And here's the way that the human heart and human behavior can actually be changed. It's called new birth or new life. And I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture The first one is from the lips of Jesus himself, and he begins to unfold a counterculture concept. And this is the one that I want us to get a hold of because it's the one that has the power to change our lives. And it is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. No other religion in the world teaches the concept 
of new birth. And Jesus said it like this in John chapter 3. He said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. And then he begins to show us a great uh, contrast. He says, humans can reproduce only human life. Which is why you and I tend to replicate the problems that our parents had. Have you noticed that? It's just so easy for you to end up parenting your kids like your parents did you. And if your parents screamed at you, what are you likely to do? Scream at your kids. If your parents were permissive with you or neglective, it's pretty easy for you to do that. He goes on to say, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to what? Spiritual life. Would you underline that? That's the most important part of this passage. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So Jesus said, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now, when you walked by that marquee out in front of our church, it had the name of our church, which is what? New Life. You understand where that name came from? It is the heart and soul of the gospel of Jesus. He said, I didn't come to bring more rules. There are enough of them, and they're not bad. They're actually good. The problem is people don't have a nature that allows them to keep them. He said, I didn't come to bring religion and a whole bunch more rituals that you need to go through in order to make a God or a force out there somewhere happy with you that hopefully life will go well with you and you can live a little better life. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring rules. I didn't come to bring religion. I came to bring new life. Now, what was the first thing Jesus said in our text today? Don't misunderstand why I have come. Does that make sense to everybody? Now, how is this new life that that the Holy Spirit is going to give birth to, what's it going to do? Well, He lays it out for us. Here in Hebrews chapter 8, God says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Wow. I'll put my law in their minds. I'll write my law on their hearts. That sounds like God's going to do something not on the external, but where? Internally. And then Paul writes about it and says, God is working in you, giving you the, what's the next word? Desire. That's on the inside and the power to do what pleases Him. So here's our second big takeaway. New life, this, this life from the Spirit, is the key to changing our heart. So friends, whatever it is, if you're struggling with anger, if you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with yelling at your kids, if you're struggling with, with dissatisfaction and envy in life, if you're struggling with gossip, it doesn't really make any difference what the thing is that you're struggling with until you allow God to get in your heart and change your heart. You're going to be, well, my favorite illustration is like going to the, to the fair and playing that whack-a-mole game where you whack on one thing and it pops up over here and you whack on that and it pops up, you'd be whacking stuff in your life, all your life. And as soon as you whack one, something else will come up. 
Because until you change the nature of your heart, which, by the way, you can't do, only God can do, until you say, God, would you change my heart? Because I'm getting tired of trying to monitor and change my behavior. And the reason that Jesus came was not to change your behavior. He came to change your heart. Because once your heart is changed, then you begin to desire the things that are right instead of the things that are wrong. And you not only desire them, but because you have this new life planted in you, life given to you by the Spirit that we often call kingdom life, the life that God has for us, because we have that new life, we now have the power and the desire to do the things that are right. So in review, there are three things. The first is rules, and, and the sort of the drive behind rules is the word conform. So in the parentheses next to rules, write the word conform, because rules are all about you conforming to the rules. And yet, you know what the author of the New Testament said? Don't conform any longer to the standards of this world. Because the new life is not about conforming. Okay? Now, in the parentheses next to religion, I want you to write the word perform. Because the idea behind all religion is you have to perform. You've got to perform this sacrifice or this ritual, or you've got you to do this meditation, or you've got to do this prayer. You've you just got to perform, and you've got to perform it over and over and over and over again. And hopefully through the repetition of this performance that you're doing, something will happen on the inside of you, and you'll change, and you'll be a better person. But Jesus said, I didn't come to talk about performance. I didn't come to talk about conforming, but the idea behind new birth is transform. It's that I would be changed from the inside out, not from the outside in. So there are three things I want to talk to you about today as we apply this to our lives. And the first is this. Before, before you can live a new life, you have to receive it. I just read to you what Jesus said. You can't enter the kingdom of God without being born again. And he went on to say that it is the Holy Spirit that gives birth to spiritual life in you. And I know that every time we meet together as a church, virtually every time we give the invitation for you to become a Christian. That's not just a simple prayer, oh God, forgive my sins and take me to heaven. That's not what that's about. What it is really about is you saying to God, I come to you because I know I can't change my own human heart and I know that you can and I'm asking you to come into my life and to, and to give me that new life that only you can give. I'm asking you through your spirit to, to give birth to spiritual life in me. And this morning, if you haven't made that decision, if you've never said to God, okay, I give up. I can't do it on my own. I come to you. Would you come into my life? And would you do in me what I cannot do for me or with me? Would you change me from the inside? I want your kingdom life to be living in me. And I want to be born again into your kingdom. 
Now listen, I know some of you have heard the term born again and it just brings up all sorts of wrong visions in your head. You're thinking born again, God's going to make me into this religious fanatic that hates everybody and condemns everybody. That's not what Jesus meant. And that's not how it's supposed to be lived out. That's somebody taking what Jesus said and twisting it and doing all sorts of things with it that he never intended. But in the process, don't get so fixated on the term born again and whatever born again Christian you may have met that, that's twisted. Don't let that rob you of the wonderful opportunity to actually be born again in here. That's why Jesus came. Which is why he began by saying, don't misunderstand why I have come. The second way that we can respond to this is new birth that Jesus gives through the Holy Spirit is like every other birth. That new life that you get is in childlike form. It's in seed form. And like every child or every seed, if it's going to grow and flourish and bear fruit in your life, you have to nurture it. You can't just neglect it and say, oh good, man, 20 years ago I prayed a prayer and God came into my life and gave me new life and, and I've never thought about it since. That's not how it works. That's why God calls all of those who have been born again into his kingdom to get together every week. And, and, and to spend time worshiping together <clears throat> and, and, and preaching and teaching and learning and sharing life into a community of faith because God knows that it's not enough for us just to receive that new life. We have to nurture it. And it's nurtured best in this context of community. And, and through meeting with God regularly and personally. And so the, the next way that we can apply this is by praying every day for God to transform our heart. Because God's not going to do it automatically. He's not going to sit up in heaven somewhere and flip a switch and all of a sudden you're brand new you. That's not how that works. It's We are, as, as God would say in His Word, being renewed daily. Be, being transformed daily by the renewing of our minds. And that's the great thing about the Christian life. It's not a destination. It's a journey. It's an adventure. It's a lifelong journey and adventure with God as He continues to move in our lives and taking that new life and it begins to grow and it begins then to reach out and it begins to permeate all the rest of our life. Which is why... The longer you have been a Christian, the sweeter, the happier, and the more wonderful you should be. And I can tell you, the sweetest Christians I have ever known in my life are not the people who are just bubbly, giddy, happy because they became a Christian yesterday. As good as that is and as great as that is, the ones that have that deep river of joy and are wonderful are people who have walked with Jesus a long time. So I want to encourage you and challenge you. Pray every day this week that God would transform your heart.
and change you from the inside out. Because when you do, I will guarantee you, he will bring to the surface something right that day that he wants to work on with you. Are you up for that? I hope you are, okay? Because that's how he works. And the third thing is this. Um, I have some good news to pass uh, uh, to all of you about our church and then a way that we can take advantage of it. In the last six or seven weeks, our church has grown by over a hundred people. That's awesome, isn't it? Yes. That means that many of you sitting in our audience this morning are brand new to New Life. You've been here less than two months So I have something for you. It's called Foundations Class, and it's something all of you should take. It's a wonderful uh, basics of Christianity so that we all get on the same page. And then the second session of it is a wonderful inside look at what God has called this church to to do and to be and how how you can jump into the mainstream of what God is doing in our church. No pressure, any of those things. But, but I know this, if you come and you just attend and you don't ever get into the flow of what God is doing other than just attending church, then you'll never actually taste the really good stuff that God wants to do in your life and, and you'll always be on the fringe. And God wants you to move from the fringe. The good stuff is as you get in on the inside. So that's what Foundations class is. We have one coming up on March the 10th and 17th. It's two sessions. There's a brunch that's included both weeks. It's taught by uh, our staff members, and uh, it's just a great time. So uh, if you're ready to do that, and you should be, then you can check that on your card. If you say, wait a minute, I've been coming here for a while, and I've never taken Foundations. I just have three words to say to you. Get with it. (laughs) Right? It's for you. Now we're going to transition into a time of communion. Now let me tell you why we're going to do this. Because the opportunity for you to be born again and the opportunity for you to have the the life of God planted in you by the Holy Spirit while it's free to you, it was not free for Jesus. It required His death and His sacrifice on your behalf. And that's another whole sermon to get into. But for this morning, I just want you to know that if Jesus didn't die on the cross, there'd be no new life for you or me. But because He did, there is. And we're going to celebrate that together. And we're going to be grateful for that together. And Jesus gave us the wonderful symbols through communion of bread and juice. And He said, when you eat this bread of communion... I want you to remember that my body was brutally treated. It's by my wounds you have been healed. He said, I want the cup, the juice, to represent my blood because I want you to know that because I died, you get to live. And not just live now, and not just live kingdom life here, but because I died, you get to live forever. And so whenever we meet as a church, we take some time to remember that. If you're new to new life and you think, wow, I don't know if I'm ready to do that, that's okay. You can, you can stay right where you are, but at least give yourself the opportunity 
to begin to process this concept that Jesus didn't come to bring rules or a religion. He came to bring a whole new life for you. I'm going to invite all of us to stand and I'm going to pray. And then the worship band is going to begin to sing. And as they sing, then you can make your way to the tables and you can take communion. And if you're not ready to do that, don't feel obligated to do that. As people around you move out, it's okay. Make room for them to move out and go to the table. If you've never taken communion before, but you say, boy, I'm ready to connect with God, make that the first thing you do. Let's pray. Father, right now, would you work in everybody's heart? Would you call those of us who have been on the fringe, we are attending church, but we've never actually said, today I become a Christian. Today I become a follower of Christ. Lord, would you come into my life and would you give me that new life so that I can be changed from the inside out, so I can take hold of life that's really life, and that I can take hold of the life you have for me. And then, Lord, for those of us who made that decision, would you call us to a place of praying for inner transformation every day this week? That that would be the cry of our heart. That we would say, Lord, change me. Take this new life. Make it bigger and fuller and more complete in me so that even those areas that I have been resisting you in, I could bring them fully to you this week. And I could be transformed there. Then, Lord, for those of us that, that you're calling to yourself through the church and you're ready to get us involved in the flow of what you're doing, would you call us to great classes, great foundations classes, so that we might be able to get fully on board with what you're doing in and through this church. And now, Lord, as we move into the communion tables, we go there to meet with you, to say, Jesus, thank you a thousand times for giving your life so that we could live. We pray in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.